try to get through the board a little bit. It seems like it's a little bit of slow motion, but I believe it's been good. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm grateful for what God is doing, looking for more testimonies as we continue to progress as the Lord is showing himself strong among his people. Amen? And uh, praise the Lord. He's no respecter of persons. What he's done for every person that was up on this stage, he will do for you. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. He'll transform you. So we're going to be talking about imager, and uh, like I said, I'm taking you through an overview of the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, the often most neglected aspects of the Old Testament, because it has been heavily criticized that the early portions of Genesis are not history. But the Bible declares that the Word of God is truth. So therefore, it has to be true. So we just are not studying it right. We need to study it and get rid of our flannel graph Christianity, okay, and start seeing it for what it is from the original language. And if we'll study it from the original language and we'll put it under the microscope of uh, the Word, because the Word interprets the Word, amen? Man doesn't interpret the Word. The Word interprets the Word, amen? And as we interpret the Word, we're able to see things and able to know things and stand secure because if the first 11 chapters of Genesis are compromised, then John 3.16 is compromised. Then every scripture that you're standing on and every scripture that these people stood on is faulty. I'm here to tell you the entire word is true. And we need to be educated about true history. The greatest cover-up of history is the cover-up of history. And we have to know what the Bible says in regards to the past. Because guess what? God declares the end from the beginning. So therefore, in order to truly interpret the end, we have to know the beginning. Because all the seeds are in the beginning that come to fruition in the book of Revelation. So you can't really even fully understand eschatology, end times, and the book of Revelation unless you have an understanding of the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. Most theologians will go to Genesis 3, and then they'll skip all the way to 12 and talk about Abraham. They don't want to talk about Genesis 6, which is what we're going to talk about today, which uh, put your seatbelts on. <clears throat> we're going to take a walk on the wild side. And everybody said, do, 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 do. Oh, some of you remember that song. You're telling off on yourself. Amen. So we're going to go back to Genesis 3. We're going to look at something that we need to see there. And then we're going to pop over to Genesis 6. We need to understand that the Bible is about, it's a love story. God loves us. God loves his creation so much that he put himself on the line and gave his very life for us so that we could live. His son gave his life for us so that we could live. So it's a rescue mission. From the time from Genesis 3 on, it's an it's a absolute rescue mission, culminating in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you were rescued. You're not going to be rescued. You're already rescued. So you have to understand that. It's a finished work. It's a done work. It's not something we're waiting on. It's something we're looking back at. The Old Testament saint looked forward to the rescue. The New Testament saint looks back at already a done rescue. It's already done. 
All we have to do is walk in the light of it, walk in the, the revelation of it, and understand that Jesus has done everything he's going to do about your problem. He has solved every problem that you have. Amen? It's up to us to keep our heart in tune with his heart, listen to his word, and allow his Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. Amen? And we can overcome with the same power that he overcame with. Amen? And so I want to look at uh, Genesis chapter 3, starting with verse number 1. I'm just going to do a quick review, and then we're going to move forward. Uh, it says, now the serpent, or the word nakash in the Hebrew, and it doesn't necessarily mean snake in the sense that it does denote a snake, but it denotes something that is shining, that is bright, that is a beautiful, luminescent one. Uh, we told you that it meant uh, enchanter, seducer, it meant Casanova. So it was not an ugly thing, it was a beautiful thing, and that we are attracted to beauty. And, uh, you know, God's kingdom is a kingdom of beauty. Did you know that? And that all angels are created with beauty. Lucifer, or Satan, as we would call him, it was created in beauty. He, he was the upper tier of beauty. We found that out in the 14th chapter of Isaiah in the 28th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. So it's his beauty that attracts us and enchants us. It's his beauty that deceives us. Amen? Now I'm going to say something that's going to get you mad right, in the, right off the bat, all right? Okay? All right. But you can get mad or get happy or whatever you want to do. But when you see someone that is into vanity and is over-accentuating their looks, they are not operating in the Spirit of God. They're operating in the Spirit of the Nakash. Amen? When they're actually accentuating their beauty in such a way to use it as a form of manipulation. Come on now. How many ever done that? How many ever had a spell cast on you from a beautiful person? Oh, no. Some of you don't want to admit that. You don't want to admit it. You don't want to admit it, man. They walk in and there's a handsome man, a ha- beautiful woman, and all. <laughs> Your IQ drops down 30 points. I remember one time I was working, this was before Karen, so don't, uh, don't hold it against me. And uh, we, we were bagging groceries, I guess, and, you know, up here at Phelps, and this beautiful lady come in. And I'm telling you, every bagger, every bagger wanted to bag her groceries. <laughs> and you could take that any way you want. I'm telling you, we fought over who was going to carry those groceries out. Who was going to bag, you know, and we're, <laughs> we're bagging them groceries. You get caught under spell by things that enchant you. If the devil showed up with horns and a big red tail and a pitchfork, you wouldn't be bothered by that. You'd run from it. 
You wouldn't sit there and say, that person has something I need. You wouldn't say that at all. But boy, when you see something, you're drawn away by those lusts that are inside you. See, he doesn't provide the lust, you do. The Bible says you're drawn by your own lust and enticed. So he takes something on the inside of you and he draws upon that by enchanting you into that desire. He awakens that desire and all of a sudden, you know, you're uncomfortable, you're a little sweaty, you're, you know, it's just, your heart's going a little bit more. Hello. And he draws that out. That's the reason why Jesus, right before he's about to be taken by the Sanhedrin guard and the Roman centurions, he said, the prince of this world is coming for me, but he doesn't have anything in me. That's where we need to get. Am I there yet? No. Are you there yet? No. But that's where we need to get. Amen? Okay. All right. Okay, that was pretty good, I thought. Amen? All right. So it says he was more crafty, the word arum in the Hebrew, which simply means shrewd, cunning, intelligent. Okay? So he was more crafty than Adam and Eve. Okay? More than any other beast. The word beast is chay in the Hebrew and it means a living creature. It doesn't mean a goat or a dog. It means a living creature. In fact, many times in the Scripture, in the New Testament, the living creatures are the cherubim that are before the throne of God are called living creatures, zoons, which zoo in the, in the, he, in the uh, Greek means got life, God life. So these are living creatures, okay, that the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, he said to Eve, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree, fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. First thing he attacks is the Word of God, then the integrity of the Word. And that's where your battle starts. Your battle starts, just like we said Wednesday night, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning of everything is a Word. He wants to attack that Word. And if he can't attack that word, he will attack the integrity and character of that of the person who said that word. And so he's attacking the character of God. First is the word. Secondly is the character of God. It says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. Now notice that. We have a big move in our world today of um, what would be called, you know, Hindu um, religion is kind of being birthed in the, uh, the kundalini spirit, which is the opening of the third eye. Now, in um, India and in places in which this religion is practiced, 
you'll see them put a dot on their forehead. And that is a type of the third eye. And so basically it's awakening. The, and they'll talk it, an awakening or ascendancy to a higher level of consciousness. Listen, you don't need that third eye open. Amen? You don't need that third eye open. You need your spirit awakened. Amen? Because God leads by his spirit, not by a third eye. Amen? Now, it's amazing to me uh, the difference between, you know, the Hindu religion and, and, and Christianity. Because Christianity is not a religion. Let me say that about ten times. Christianity is not a religion. There's nothing religious about it. Because there's really no duty or obligation that brings forth salvation or ascension. Ascension happened through resurrection. So we're already ascended, as Kevin said, already to the highest level. So you're not trying to climb a mountain, guys. You're not trying to climb steps. You're not trying to get your ribbon or your bow or your medal. You've been crowned 100% grade A righteous by the Lord himself. So you can't get any higher in God. Let me say that again. Now, experientially on planet Earth, there is steps. There is growth. Do you understand that? But positionally, you're already there. So I don't read my Bible to get something. I read my Bible because it's food for the spirit man on the inside of me and creates a greater awareness and sensitivity to the kingdom of God that's present around me and in me. See, I don't pray so that God will look down on me and say, Man, he's really, really pressing in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reward him. I've already been rewarded. I'm not praying from a position of trying to get something. I'm praying from a position that I've already got something. And I'm praying to get revelation of what I have. See, every New Testament prayer is based upon you already having something. He says, he, I pray that your eyes would be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of the calling. What is the riches of the inheritance? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? It's already there. I'm not trying to get it. I'm not trying to get my power button. Amen. And so we got people, and I've seen it on social media. I saw it on Instagram. People down there going to their yoga classes. And they're getting the kundalini spirit gyrating on the floor. Come on now. Come into a place of awakening. No, you're being filled with devils. That's what you're being filled with. Okay, all right, okay. That was free. All right. Okay. Stay away from that yoga, guys. If you like to stretch, stretch. By all means. But don't do those stupid poses. Those poses, listen. Okay, all right. Okay. Posture is important in worship. Did you know that? That if there is a posture like this, that this is, you're not going to sit like this in heaven. I know some of you like to sit like, I'm sorry, ma'am. I I know some of you like to worship that way. That is not a posture in heaven. This is not a posture in heaven. I don't think you're going to be before the throne of God going. 
Now, I'm not saying you have to get all buck wild and stuff like that. But I'm telling you, posture is important. And posture gives awareness to what's happening on the inside of you. Okay? So, you know you're really in prayer. Now, I walk and pray. Majority of the time, I'll walk and pray. I'll sit down and pray. But I'm telling you what. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon me. And I get down over here. And I kneel and pray. My, my posture's different. It's not that God hears me any different than when I'm walking. It's that I am coming into a place of submission. Do you, do you understand that? To, to a place of submission. Yoga poses are poses of submission. To spirits. And when you do your downward dog... It begins to make people aware, our spirits aware, you're into what they're into. I'm going to tell you some of your tattoos. You better watch them. You better watch them. You don't know what that symbol means. You don't have any clue what that symbol means. And basically, that's just a brand. Just like you'd brand cattle. And they're basically saying, that's my boy. That's my girl. She's got that yin-yang on her shoulder. You better watch that stuff. Because the devil is fooling us with all kinds of deception. Hello, God. Now, listen, if you've got tattooed, do not be condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm not getting on. I'm just saying if you don't have them. Why would you put a bumper sticker on a Ferrari? (laughs) Amen. But if you got them, hey, you know what? The Lord's redeemed you. The Lord has sanctified you. You're the Lord's free man and you're the Lord's free woman. Amen. Man, don't be putting no devils on yourself, man, and symbols. And some people got swastikas on there, you know. Swastika is not Nazi, it's Hindu. Okay, all right. Okay, all right, okay. I can tell, man, this is going to be fun. I'm really, I'm really feeling saucy today, so you better watch out, okay? All right, okay. He says, for God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open. You get that third eye. You're going to see like he sees. He's keeping it from you. He's keeping information from you. He's keeping you stupid and ignorant. You don't know. And that's what some of your religious people tell you. Oh, that Bible, it just keeps you dumb and keeps you stupid. And, you know, and no, this opens it up. This opens up truth. They're living the lie. Amen? I had someone tell me, well, I want my kids to learn all the various different types of religion and ways to God. Well, what other way is there? What other way is there? Well, you're just opening it up for your kids to go right straight to hell. Come on now. You need to teach them. You need to show them the truth. Now, if they get older and they begin to go different ways, you know what? At least you've done what you're supposed to do as a parent. Raise them in the nurture and admonition of the truth. Amen. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, 
And that it was delight, uh, it, it was a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes. And it was the tree that desired to make one wise, pride of life. See, she hooked into the system by looking at the tree. You look at something long enough, you're going to do it. Come on now. You look at something long enough, you're going to become it. Okay? And she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Now, this is a different word for a room. It's a variation of the word a room. So they were aware that some transformation and change happened the minute they partook of that fruit. Now, what was the fruit? Was it an apple? Was it a weird-looking nectarine-looking thing? No, it was wisdom. It was a false wisdom. Once they sided with the enemy and partook of that information and took it within and disobeyed God, they became different. They had a reverse new birth. Because he clearly tells God when God shows up and says, Adam, where are you? Did you think God doesn't know where he's at? No, he's wanting Adam to know where are you at. And he says, I heard your voice calling and I was afraid and I hid myself because I was a room. He clearly says... I was the same as the Nakash. Uh, See, Adam became a son of Satan. Hello. He became a son of Satan. The minute he disobeyed the Lord, the Spirit of God left his spirit. His soul began to be raised to uh, a place that it should never be raised to. As the center of his life. And how he was dominated by the very flesh that covered him. So no longer was Adam living from the inside out. He was living from the outside in. And that meant that everything that was on the outside of him dictated to him who he was and what he could do. And people live like that all their lives. They face their limitations. I wanted to go to school, but. I wanted to start a business, but. I wanted to do this, but. I was born on this side of the tracks. I was born in this socioeconomic household. I didn't get the education. And I'm telling you what, the, we'll, we'll get into the system. I got some things that will blow your mind. Poof! When it comes to the system. Well, we got a system. Here's the system. Work hard, and you'll be successful. Well, there's a whole lot of hard-working people out there, and they're not experiencing any success whatsoever. And they may not experience any success for the rest of their life. Because, listen, success in the world is not true success. Yes. Come on now. Okay. All right. I'm going to drop down to verse number 15 because I got to, I got to move. All right. 
Because we, we, you know, we got Genesis to maps today. All right? Okay. He says in verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. He says, I'm going to put enmity. I'm going to put opposition. I'm going to put um, anti-ethical, you know, disparity between you two. And there's, you're going to become enemies. You're going to be contradictory to one another. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offsprings. What mine says, it's really not right. It's seed. It's seed. He said, I will put, it's the word, you know, that where we get the word, it's, it's, I believe it's Zerah in the Hebrew, and it means sperm. I'm sorry, guys. That's what, just what it means. Okay, it's seed. All right. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed. Now notice, he is given seed. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the snake. He's talking to the Nakash. He says, your seed. So that means that there is serpent seed. Do you remember the parable of the uh, wheat and the tares? Do you remember the tares? Okay, so you've got the wheat, and all of a sudden, tares start growing up through the wheat. And the workers come to the owner of the land, and they say, what, why are these tares? Because, see, tares and wheat look the same when they're in infancy. But as they grow to fruition to be harvested, they're very different. But initially, you can't tell that they're there because it looks like, you know, wheat. Okay? And so it begins to grow, and it's obvious that there are tares in the midst of this wheat field. Now, that creates a whole lot of problems. Creates a whole lot of problems for the the person that's trying to bring in this harvest. And so they go to the owner of the field, and they said, Listen, uh, what are with these tares here? And notice what Jesus said. He said, an enemy has sown this. And he explains later that basically it was fallen angels that put the tares in the midst of the wheat. See, we're the wheat. We're the wheat. We're the harvest of the world. But Satan puts in tares in the midst of the wheat. And that's the seed of the serpent. The seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. If you're born of God, you're born as the seed of the woman. Because you're, that's the seed of the woman. It's Christ the Messiah. Amen? Now people will say, well, women don't have seed. Yes, they do. It's called an egg. And she isn't going to have a child unless there is a joining. Regardless of what CNN tells you. Regardless. She's not going to have, and a man's not going to have a child unless we have both the seed of the man and the seed of the woman coming together, making a zygote that begins to form into a child. This is very important to understand this. Because in order for Jesus to qualify as our Redeemer... In order for Jesus to qualify as the one that could deliver us, he had to be of the seed of Adam. Yes. 
So he couldn't come exclusively as God. He had to come as a man. He had to be from the seed of Adam. So he became the seed of Adam because he came through Mary. That's the seed of the woman. She was a virgin, just as the scripture foretold in the book of Isaiah, that a virgin would conceive. Now here, a lot of people have a lot of freaky ideas about this. They think that God just put a human zygote inside of inside of Mary. Okay? No. Her DNA connected with the Holy Spirit's Oh, this is beautiful stuff here. Okay? So, 23 and 23. Come on. The genetic code, Holy Spirit, Mary came together and created Jesus Christ. Come on now. You've got to understand that. Okay? So we've got 23 pairs of DNA that come from two different sources. When the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, she conceived, and the Holy Spirit put the genetic information into her. This wasn't a sexual act by any stretch of the imagination. Don't believe some of these fools that tell you that. She just simply believed the word. We talked about it Wednesday. She said, be it done to me according to thy word. Word is seed. The seed of the word came in and grafted to her genetic composition. And Jesus' physical body was created. But the Holy Spirit provided certain aspects of the Father's personality. Come on now. To where he, he, because see your soul comes from your DNA. Your soul comes from, your spirit comes from God, exclusively from the Lord. But your soul comes from your DNA. That's the reason why you act like mama sometimes. And you act like daddy and you, you can see grandpa, come on, grandpa's tipper and grandpa's this, you know. You can see that because it comes through your DNA. So he had to become first a seed of Adam. He also had to be of the seed of Abraham. Okay, so he couldn't just come through any line. He had to come through Abraham's line. We'll talk about that when we get to the Tower of Babel. He also, in order to be fully the Messiah, he had to be of the seed of David. So he had to come from the line that God ordained that the kings should come forth from. So here we have the son of Adam, or the son of man as he used to call himself, Because Adam is just the name for man. Okay. Adam was made of the Adma, which is the dust of the ground. All right. So that means that whatever Adam was made of, he had domination over. And what happened to Adam happened to what he was made. Oh, you're not getting this. Happened to what was made of. So when he sinned, depravity and degradation and corruption came into the earth. That means that's the reason why we have children that are born with birth defects. It's the reason why we have illnesses and things that have come upon the earth. Those aren't God's actions. God's not up there saying, well, I'm going to show them for disobeying. I'm just going to throw some cancer down there, and I'm just going to teach them a lesson. No, the corruption came through the disobedience. 
Through one man's disobedience, death entered into the world. It doesn't say by one man's disobedience, God brought death in the world. That's not what the scripture says. It says through their disobedience, death entered the world. Death is a quality of life. It's not just simply cessation. It's sickness. It's depression. It's anxiety. It's all of this stuff. When we are functioning in those things, we are functioning in an aspect of death. But Jesus triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. Amen? And so we can understand that, you know, through the liberating work of Jesus Christ, he rendered the power of the fear of death away from the hands of Satan so that we should no more fear death. We don't have to fear death in any of its manifestations, people. I feel like running around here. Come on now. I just, I mean, this is good news. Maybe I'm not saying it right. But my gosh, man. If you knew what Jesus truly delivered you from, your whole life would change. So we've got two different seeds in the earth today. We are a part of the seed of Abraham. Did you know that? According to Galatians, we are part of the seed. If you're born again here today, you're part of the seed of Abraham. So that means that you are identified with Jesus' genetic line. Hello. And this is, here's the good news. You are no longer identified as a new creation with your family tree. Oh, some of you got that, some of you don't. Some of you like them fruits and nuts that come off that tree. You like that. But that means diabetes, that means can't breast cancer, that means anything that falls down that genetic line, it has been totally eradicated by the cross. By the cross. Listen, there have been people that have been in generations of depression where their grandfather and their father just had fits of depression. And all of a sudden, they begin, at a certain season of their life, they begin to succumb to the same things. The same things they saw their loved ones and, and generations past go through, all of a sudden, they're going through. But when they realize, but when they realize, but when they realize, See, I, I was supposed to be an alcoholic. My family on my side were all alcoholics. They were all alcoholics. I should have been one. I mean, I was, you know, if I would have stayed with the family that, you know, I was born into, who knows? I, I don't even think I'd be standing here right now. I don't even think I'd be standing here. I, I have no doubt that Jesus would save my life because he's that good. Amen. But I'm telling you, I don't know that I'd be here because the foundation's different. You understand what I'm saying? See, I should have been an alcoholic. My great-grandfather blew his brains out in a gas station out here on Denver. 
My grandfather had to clean his brains up. Now, I say that that way because that's what he told me. Every day I worked for him, I cleaned my daddy's brains off that glass right there. See how that stuff gets passed down to you? I'm telling you right now, generational curses are breaking off your life, Jono. They're breaking off your life right now in Jesus' name. They're breaking off. You're a new creation. You're not associated with any of that stuff. You've got a new family line. You've got a new tree. It's called the cross. And you know what? All that junk from that family line went to the cross, and it didn't come out the other end. That means, you know, some people say, well, you know, diabetes, it runs in my family. You know, mama had it. And so, that's not yeah. true. That's Come not on. true anymore. Not for the new creation. It's not Come true. On. Just because mama had it, it doesn't mean you have yeah. to have it. That's right. That's right. There's that's some people right. reside to that. Yeah. Well, you know, daddy had it. So I guess that just means they should have it. Like it's a gift. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Mama gave me the gift of diabetes. And I'm going to pass it down to my kids. And it's on and on and on. And it's not true. In the cross, it's not true. In the cross, it's not true. I said, in the cross, it's not true. I said, in the cross, it's not true. When a person realizes that their family tree is the cross, then it totally... The fruit of the other tree doesn't manifest. Now listen, it'll try to grow. And I want to tell you, it'll try to grow. And the devil thinks because he's had your family line for so many years in that regard that you're prime, prime property for him and he owns you. So that's the reason why he'll keep coming. And he'll keep coming, he'll keep coming. Try to put symptoms on you, get you to buy into it, taking thought about it, saying, oh, well, I guess I just have to, you know, go ahead and take that metformin, you know. Hello? And I'm certainly not against taking medicine. I'm certainly not against getting help. But what I'm saying is you've got to come to a realization of what the cross truly did. What does it mean by new creation, friends, if the old creation is still around? The Bible says we're new creations. The old has passed away. My old diabetic self has passed away. My old heart failure self has passed away. My old cancer-ridden self has passed away. My old alcoholic way has passed away. My old crank-smacking days are gone. That person is dead. I don't need it. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Hello. You know, we talk about, you know, Kevin and his days, you know, in uh, Sepulpa County or, or, or Creek County Jail. But, you know, that man's gone. That man's been gone a long time ago. I never was formally introduced to him in that incarnation, but he wasn't introduced to me in my former incarnation. But we went to the cross first and met one another. And we became new. See, Adam received a backwards new birth. He backed into the kingdom of darkness. He was translated out of the kingdom of light and he was brought into the kingdom of darkness. And he knew it. 
It wasn't like, whoop. He knew it. He knew it happened. He said, I was afraid. He had never been afraid before. Fear was foreign to him. He says, I was afraid. And notice what he did. I hid myself. And that's what happens when people get into, you know, this situation where condemnation grips them. They begin to hide themselves. Hide themselves under various masks, personas, and identifying elements. It's the reason why people have trouble. They masquerade under different hair colors, different tattoos, different things. They're trying to hide something. Wear strange clothes. Come on. Listen, the more demonized you are, the less clothes you wear. It's the truth. What was the demoniac of Gadara? He is buck naked out there. He's buck naked. He was filled with a legion of demons. He didn't have a stitch of clothes on him. But when Jesus got through of it, it says he was clothed and in his right mind. I'm telling you what, Jesus is causing people to get clothed and in their right mind. Amen? That word right mind means regulate. It means it comes from the word where we get the word diaphragm, which regulates your breathing. His air wasn't regulated. What am I talking about? His spiritual condition wasn't regulated. It was only when Jesus came and spoke the word only to him, and he began to get rid of that legion of demons, that he was regulated in his mind. Some of you are not regulated in your mind. Your mind just thinks on anything it wants to think. It takes on any care, any anxiety, any kind of problem. It just begins to try to work it, 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 thinking that you're going to fix it that way. But guess what? You're not going to fix it that way. You're only going to fix it through the name of Jesus. An understanding that you have been crucified with Christ. He said, I was crucified with Christ. It's a past tense done deal. But nevertheless, I live. Listen, I live. I'm still Greg here. But not I. It is Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith. That means I have the same faith Jesus had. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, my goodness gracious. I don't don't know what in the world's got all over me, but you need to hear this. There is a seed of the woman, a seed of Abraham. We are God's seed, if you're born again here today. By virtue of the new birth, my friends, you are now a direct creation of God. In the Old Testament, only angels were a direct creation of God. Adam himself was a direct creation of God because he had no parents other than God. Angels have no parents. They were created by a word from God. We've talked about that. We were procreated in the sense that we came through Adam's line. So therefore, we're not direct. 
We're indirect, but we're not direct. But, as we read Wednesday night, we have been born again, not by corruptible, but the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. That seed came in, just like, just like Mary said, be it done to me according to thy word or according to thy seed. Come on now. And when that seed came in, praise God, God's spiritual genetic code got on the inside of you and transformed you, slew you, and raised you up to a newness of life. To a new creation species of being that has never existed before. Amen. Isn't it amazing that when Adam and Eve transgressed, God didn't come down necessarily speaking just judgments, but he spoke a promise. He said, I'm going to deliver you. And this is how I'm going to deliver you. This girl's going to have a baby. And she's going to have a baby irrespective of any human man because human men are now fallen and they are slaves. And slaves cannot give birth to kings. So he said, you're going to bruise his heel. He's going to go through. The dark night of the soul. He's going to go through the wine press or the olive press. He's going to go through that situation in which he is going to be, his life is going to be taken. But he said he's going to crush your head. So what does the enemy do? What does the enemy do when he hears that? Well, he begins to look for any day Eve's going to have a baby. And that's the reason why he came against Cain and Abel. Because when Cain was born, he said, this must be it. And in fact, Eve thought that was the case too. Because if you look at the original language in the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis, it says, I have received a man from the Lord, is what the translation says. But the original Hebrew says, I have received a man, the Lord. She thought it was, just like you and I. We think it's going to happen like that. God tells us something. Bam, it's just going to happen immediately. We don't understand that God's into process because he's into the transformation that happens as we go through the process. And so it was the fullness of time when Jesus came. It didn't come immediately. And so Satan began to get his eyes on Cain, and he began to incite Cain. Then Abel was born, and he began to look at Abel. He began to try to see the disparity between Cain and Abel, and it was easy to see. Because Cain was more given to things that were carnal, and Abel was given to more things that were spiritual. And so he begins to incite Cain to slay his brother. We've got, I can teach you on this. I mean, there's a lot to kill his brother. And so Cain is banished. So that leaves Adam and Eve without a male offspring. Now, they had other children. But then all of a sudden, he gets Seth. Amen? But it says very clearly that Seth was born in the image of Adam. So he was procreated. So therefore he was locked in to the fallen state. Man only had children when he became a rebel. So that means every child is a rebel. 
That needs to be a revelation to some of you parents. Amen. <clears throat> so he began to try to contaminate the genetic line that would bring forth this Messiah that would crush his head. So he comes up with a plan to come against Cain. Cain begins to be one of the primary builders of society. And Cain strikes a deal with some nefarious angels. Okay, let's look at that. You look, guys are looking at me weird. Okay, I don't have it in my notes, so don't worry about it, my brother. Don't look for it. Uh, let's go to Genesis 4. And I'm going to explain this, and I'm just going to leave it, and we're going to have to come. We're going to have to come back next week. <clears throat> so after Cain slew Abel, of course, you know, he um, fled uh, because God judged him, put a mark on him. And he began to build, instead of repenting and coming back to God or seeking grace and mercy, he flee, flees the, the presence of God and goes into the land of Nod, which is known as the land of wandering. So it's symbolic. You see, if you look at Genesis 4 and you read it in its entirety, it's basically a composite drawing of fallen man. And the process from fall to utter destruction. Okay? So he, and I've got a whole teaching on that that I'll teach you later. But uh, uh, it's called the way of Cain or the road of Cain. Okay? So he begins to build a city after his firstborn son, Enoch. Now this is not the Enoch that wrote the book of Enoch. This is his son, Enoch. And he makes a city... Named Enoch. Now Cain made a city because he was cursed of God and he wanted to find resources irrespective of God. And so anytime we begin to look at a city in the Word of God, we know from the biblical interpretation that the law of first mention is always the definition of how God sees a thing. So the word city is in a negative connotation. So the city that Cain built was built to fortify himself, supply himself, and cause him to live irrespective of God. So he begins, uh, Enoch begins to have sons. And the fourth generation from Cain, there's a man by the name of Lamech. Everybody say Lamech. Don't name your kid Lamech. <clears throat> in the fourth generation, there was a man by the name of Lamech. Lamech is the first one that is listed in the scriptures that had two wives. So it shows you that they are going past the definitive order of God, and they're moving away from godly principles. They are living in the land of wandering, they have built themselves a city to fortify themselves and protect themselves. And now they are living away from God's directives and God's structures. Okay? Now, in the genealogies, Cain's genealogy is the only genealogy in these two instances, in four and in five, that have women in the genealogy. 
Now, thank God Jesus has women in his genealogy. Did you know that? He's got women in his genealogy. Because, and guess what? There's some women that had some pasts. They had some issues. But praise God, the transformative power of God. Your life can produce something good when you've been in something bad. And that's just all that that proves. But this genealogy is very, very interesting because this is not normal. You look at the genealogy from Seth to Noah, and there's not a listing of any women in that genealogy. Okay? But in Cain's genealogy, there are listed three women. The two wives of Lamech and Lamech's daughter, Nama. Everybody say Nama. Okay, so he begins to show Lamech's sons. And these sons all of a sudden begin to cultivate technology. See, they go from a place of no technology, and all of a sudden you begin to see them have technology. So you have one that, that is basically in charge of, you know, cattle and dwelling in tents and, and herdsmen and things of that nature. They've learned that from somewhere. Then you've got someone that is into musical instrument, the creation of music. They begin to learn that somewhere. And then you have a man by the name of Tubal Cain, which just simply means like Cain, or following in the footsteps, or the road of Cain. That's what, that's what Tubal Cain means. And he is into metallurgy, the creation of knives, weapons, and tools. So he's created that, but he got it from somewhere. Now, we know in extra-biblical works, such as the book of Enoch, such as the book of Jubilees, such as the book of um, Asher, you see that there was an exchange that watchers came down to Mount Hermon, 200 of them, and they decided that they were going to alter human genetics to where the Messiah, the one that would crush their master's head, would not be born. So they decided to blend themselves into the gene pool of humanity, thereby making humans not human, thereby not redeemable. Do you understand that? Jesus said... There was a man who had a wheat field. And all of a sudden, tares started coming up. The worker said, where did these tares come from? He said, the evil one has done this. He put something inside humanity to create and alter humanity to where the Messiah does not have a pure bloodline to flow through. So therefore, man cannot be redeemed. And if man can't be redeemed, Satan rules supreme throughout eternity. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's still trying to do it. He's still trying to do it. Okay? Are we all right? Now, the Bible is written in a way that it gives you clues. And it's written in a way that kind of, you know, shows you key words that kind of give you an idea of what happened. Okay, the word Nama is very important for us to understand because it means pleasant and attractive and beautiful. 
Okay? Let's go to Genesis 6. Genesis 6, 1. Notice this. It says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God. Now, we've established who the sons of God are. It's not the sons of Seth. Come on now. Because Adam was a son of God, Seth was not. He was a son of Adam. Okay? So it's not sons of Seth. And some of the stuff that happened by the union with the sons of God and with women, you can't get by two human beings. Okay? All right? So the sons of God are angels. That's who they're referring to. All throughout the Old Testament, it's angels. In the New Testament, sons of God are us. Come on now. Sons of God are us. Because we're direct creations as new creations. We're sons and daughters of God. Amen? So, it says, The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. My translation says, many translations use the word pleasant. Which leads Bible expositors and more heady-minded people than I are, that, ha- that I am, I are, I come from Manford, <laughs> I am, will tell you that that's a direct connection to the fact that the first, the first woman to operate in this genetic corruption was Nama. Cain's lineage, the line of Lamech, went into league with these 200 watcher angels to start their corruption process. And it just went widespread after that. And they did it for exchange of technology. And guess what? They're doing it still today. Hello. Back in 93... When I was in Bible school, computers weren't a big deal. You know, we had, uh, you know, in the 70s and 80s, or in, in the 80s, basically, we had Pong. You know, I mean, it was just rudimentary green screens, you know, white letters, printers that you had to put in earphones. <laughs> And I remember we had a class in our Bible school about, you know, computers. And they, they were talking about 386s. Now, if you're a computer geek, you know a 386 won't even run your phone. Won't even run your phone, man. I mean, and so we, they said, what, we've got 386s out there. And we're going to get next fall, we're going to get 486. I mean, that was cutting-edge technology. Well, how in the world... Did we get from 93 to 2003 where you've got more computing power in the palm of your hand than the astronauts had going to the moon? They didn't get that from just simply, you know, using their brain power. Because if that was the case, we would have had that a long time ago. Hello? They got it because exchanges are still happening. 
You think how much that little device ensnares your life and controls your life? I mean, you panic when you can't find it. Some of you panic when your spouse has it in their hand. Ah! Ah! You know, I mean, we can get a hold of stuff, anything we need. We can learn about anything we want to learn about. But it doesn't mean we're learning it right because there's no teacher. There's no, there's no uh, any kind of filters whatsoever in the information you get. And people, even when studying the things that I'm bringing forth in there, you can go on the Internet and get into some, some freaky stuff. And it's not right. You've got to use the Bible as the filter. See, I'm not using anything other than the Bible to share with you. But notice it says, they took. Notice how they use that word. They took. That means that it wasn't them courting. You know, they didn't surf one another on uh, idateanangel.com. <clears throat> Hello, my name is Gabriel, and I like puppies and slow walks on the beach. That is not what they did. They bartered and traded. And then when they weren't trade, there wasn't nothing to trade, they took them. And basically what they're using is they're using, Jesse, come on up here. Now, I'm not saying that he's a Nama, beautiful, pleasant, and everything, but in his own way, he is precious. But basically... Basically, what they wanted to do was they wanted to take the genetic code and they used it as a form of media, okay? Who, who's holding their Bible? Got, got their Bible? You look at the paper in that, that's a form of media. That's something that's written on, something that is conformed to, something that is molded to, look like, or bring forth the information they want to bring forth. So they knew that God had given man or flesh dominion. So they knew they had to go through it. Because they didn't have any authority to operate in the realm to change the genetic code. So they had to use these women as extensions, as genetic extensions. Now I'm not saying they were having freaky angel sex. What I'm saying is, is that they use some way to transfer their seed. Because angels have seed. Everything God created has seed. I've shared that with you before. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says that everybody has seed. They had seed. They were forbidden to use it because they're all male. No, there's no females and they don't procreate. They're direct creations. So they had to find a way to bring their seed into the human genome, therefore changing and transforming, and monstrosities were born from these genetic unions. Because although they transition from their angelic being into a more form that is conducive to operating with men, 
their seed was still angelic. Do you understand that? Their seed was what they were. And when they transferred it over, it caused mutations, which is known as giants in your Bible. And it says, and there were giants on the earth in those days. The word is Nephilim, okay? And it means fallen ones. And it doesn't just mean that they were fallen. It means that they created fallen ones. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this is a form of media. He didn't care about Jesse. didn't care about Nama. didn't care about those girls. They were, you know, building homes and picket fences for their giant babies to walk in there. That isn't what they were doing. What they were doing was they were creating, they were using this as you would use clay or you would use any other form of media to create their own unique art. Did you get that? You can sit down. What a fine example. Amen. But notice that. Listen to what he says. They took their wives, any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. Now notice that. That's the media that they wanted to use. They wanted to use flesh. His day shall be 120 years. Now, I'm not going to explain that again, but that is not that I'm going to live to 120. It's 120 jubilee years. Showing you 6,000 years is the limit that God has for humanity. Okay? And we're quickly coming upon that. Amen? All right. So he says this. He says, the Nephilim, or giants, the King James says, were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of Adam, they shared their genetic seed into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. I want you to underline that phrase right there. Who is he talking about? Is he talking about super athletes like today? Is he talking about movie stars like Tom Cruise today? No, he's talking about characters that we have studied our whole life, that we refer to our whole life and don't even understand that we're referring to them. Did you understand that in this entire solar system, that every planet other than earth is named after a God? Did you know that the days of the week have the names of gods in them? Did you know the months of the year have the names of gods in them? Did you know that medicines you take have the names of gods in them. Do you know that everything you touch, your Marvel Cinematic Universe and your DC Universe are all just the regurgitation of these mighty men of renown. They're getting you to look to these, to look at them as an example and as a model of what you could become if you would just simply yield to the work of the enemy in your life. That's the reason why we've got transhumanism, we've got them messing with the human genome, we've got them altering, putting cat DNA in this, and, 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 and all kind of alligator DNA in that, and they're trying to adjust and create hybrid beings, the same as they did in this instance right here. They not only messed with human beings, they messed with animals. They messed with plant life. 
Not, listen guys, I'm, I'm going to make you mad right now. <clears throat> there are plants on this earth right now that were genetically altered during this time. They were not created directly by God. And you're smoking them. Hello. We wonder about the dinosaurs. They weren't called dinosaurs. That was, that was initialized in the last 75 years, 100 years. They were called dragons. Dinosaur just means large lizard. That's all it means. But we take it with all the dinosaur. <laughs> they created large lizards. They created dragons. And in fact, many of the gods of the Sumerians carried around dragons and had them as pets. I'm telling you, there's far more to the world before the flood than you could ever imagine. You could ever imagine in your wildest dreams. And I'm going to close with that. Because you ain't ready for it. People say, well, you know, God's genocidal. He's a genocidal maniac. He decided to kill those people because he just didn't like them. That ain't true at all. That ain't true at all. God brought the flood to save humanity. Humanity was being destroyed and corrupted by these wicked angels to where depravity and evil was widespread and man only thought continually. I'm telling you, when it comes to the tribes that were in the promised land, well, you know, God just didn't like them, and he wanted them to kill them all, all the kids, everybody. He's a genocidal God. No. Joshua was supposed to kill the seven Nephilim tribes. Because it says the giants were on the earth in those days. And after that, after that means after the flood. They were there. In the 14th, 13th, 14th chapter of the book of Numbers, they said, we saw Nephilim there. No, they were supposed to take care of hybrid beings that weren't human. I'm telling you, our God loves us. God loves us. Gave his only begotten son for us. Why would he want to destroy? Come on. Come on. Amen. There's always collateral damage to any kind of war, and mankind does stupid stuff. But it isn't God up there doing it. It isn't God up there saying, well, you know, I'm going to just wipe them out because they're, they're this or they're that. And No. This is a love story you hold in your hands. This is a loving God that cares for you. Yes, he is righteous. Yes, he is just. But he is not going to judge the righteous with the wicked. God is fair. You've got to believe that. Most people don't believe God's fair. <clears throat> but we'll get into that next week. Did you get anything out of that? Did I help anybody? <clears throat> <clears throat> If you're here and you don't know the Lord, we've got ministers that are here for you. We've got altars right here. 
We've also got communion. I don't know if you've seen it. You can have communion anytime you want to. If you want to take communion, you've got something going on in your body, something in your life, and you want to take communion, you can do so up here anytime you want to. During worship, during my preaching, I don't care. Whatever you need to do. Amen? We'll have ministers here to help you if you need to be born again, need to be filled with the Spirit, or you need um, healing in your body, deliverance, whatever you need. Don't walk out the same way you came in. Amen? Hallelujah. I'm looking forward to continuing source code on Wednesday night. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't tried Train Bible College, come tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. I'm going to be teaching Train. What does Train about? Anything I want it to be about. Come on. <laughs> Kevin came to me. He goes, he goes, I think I want a class like yours. I said, you go for it. Amen? You go for it. Whatever the Lord tickles my fancy, I, I, just, go, I just show up and do it. Amen? And uh, praise the Lord. So, but then we have supportive ministries with Dr. Bell, and we've got some great classes coming up. What, what, you know any of them? How to build a patio. Philippians with Pastor Trevor. That sounds good. Amen. And we don't remember the rest, but it's all going to be good. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We don't have anything. It's Car Mechanics 101. I don't know, but it'll be good. Amen. So you're dismissed in the name of Jesus.